Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Bureau of the Scientists. Um, thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, I'm delighted to introduce our speaker tonight, Dr. Vincent Fischetti, who's a professor and the head of laboratory of bacterial pathogenesis and immunology at the Rockefeller University. Uh, here in New York. So Dr. Fischetti's research is focused on developing alternative methods to control bacterial infections. And in this regard, he's the first to use phage lysins as therapeutic agents to treat bacterial infections in animal models. So the first lysin has successfully completed phase two human trials, which is the first antibiotic alternative ever to achieve this FDA milestone. And it uh, comes as no surprise that Dr. Fischetti is the recipient of two prestigious NIH Merit Awards and is a fellow of both the American Academy of Microbiology and the National Academy of Inventors. Uh, Dr. Fischetti holds 33 US and international patents and is the founder of two companies, uh, Siga Technologies and Avacyn Pharmaceuticals. Uh, so uh, without further ado, let's all give a warm welcome to Dr. Fischetti. Thank you, thank you very much. This is the, probably the most relaxed uh, lecture I've ever given. So, uh, so uh, since we're a small group, uh, feel free to stop me and you know, if you have a question, I'll be happy to answer it so we don't go any further if, if something is really not clear. So uh, yes, today I'll, I'll tell you about a, a little project that we started 20 years ago. Uh, and that is based on the fact that there are a lot of problems even 20 years ago. Uh, antibiotic resistance was a problem 20 years ago, and we decided to try to, to figure out a, a, another way to kill uh, bacteria. And, and this, uh, this acronym was, was uh, uh, made around uh, 10 years ago when it really was a problem. And these are acronyms really based on, on multi-drug resistant organisms, gram positives and gram negatives. And since the, the, the latter tw uh, 10 years, uh, more organisms have been added to the list, and these organisms have become more and more resistant. Probably the most dangerous one in this list is uh, Abomanii. This organism is resistant to every antibiotic that, that you can throw at it. So if you get infected by that organism, there are very few, cho there are no choices. The only choice, there have been patients who have been treated with phage therapy, uh, because that was the last line of, of, of defense. And in some cases it works, in some cases it doesn't. And those, those and, and uh, I know a couple of um, uh, people who have done these with, with phage therapy. It's been, cost millions of dollars to get that person through it, but sometimes they survive. So it's, it's gotten worse, and uh, we need to, to identify new alternatives uh, to antibiotics. And we are working with phage license, as an alternative to conventional antibiotics. Um, so phage are, or bacteriophage or phages for short, are viruses that infect bacteria only. They, here are phages that are attached, they have a, a tail fibers that attach specifically to receptors on the bacterial surface, and they don't infect humans. But they do have an effect on humans because they're infecting the organisms that are carried by humans. So they will affect the, uh, the, the, the microbiota of humans, and we can talk about that later on. So just some fun facts about phage. So how many phage are on Earth? Uh, it's estimated about 10 to the 31 phage on Earth. That's about 10 to the seventh average uh, per ml, ml of, of water and uh, per gram of soil. 
So 10 to the 31 is a huge number. If you placed every phage that's on Earth on top of each other, uh, any estimates how, how far out into space? <laughs> any ideas? Uh, what, that's 10 to the 31. We're stacking these, these very tiny viruses on top of each other. How far out in space do you think we'll go? Any, any guess? All right, you don't want to guess? I'll have to tell you then. So you have to travel the speed of light for 100 million years. Oh my God. That's a huge number. 10 to the 31 is a huge number. So you're, you're going the speed of light for, for 100 million years to get to the top of the stack. So that's 10 to, that's 10 to the 31. So because of that, phage are everywhere. We eat phage, we drink phage. 31 billion phage pass through our intestine each day. And phage have been identified in saliva, dental plaque, feces, skin, surfaces, breast milk, urine, lungs, and spinal fluid, which is supposed to be sterile. But there are phage everywhere. So it's just a constant flow of phage going through our bodies. They're not affecting us directly, but again, they're affecting us indirectly. They're interacting with the organisms in our bodies. And I won't get into that in, in detail, but we can talk about that later on. So here, just an idea of phage out there. They'll find an organism, they'll infect that organism, they'll inject their DNA, and I'll show you in a minute how that's done, and then they replicate inside that bacterium for the production of new virus particles. So when one phage goes in, 10 to 100 can come out within a 20 minutes to a half hour. So phage lysins are the enzymes used by the phage to get out, to, get, to release their progeny phage out of that organism. So that's how they, that's how they do it. They have, to, they have to have an enzyme to get them out of the organism, otherwise they're trapped. So every 48 hours, half the bacteria on Earth are killed by bacteriophage. This is a cycle that goes on constantly in the soil, in the water. So it's a highly dynamic cycle. And if half the bacteria on Earth are killed every two days, lysins then are the most effective antibacterial agents on the planet because they're killing organisms every, every second. And, and no resistance. No resistance. That's the point. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Because they can't be resistant. If they don't, the system doesn't work. The battle has been for a billion years, a phage, the phage are infected by, by bacteria, the bacteria are infected by phage, and the phage resists the bacteria. They, they were always mutants that are present, preventing them from, from the infection. But, so the cycle is constant, but nobody wants to win. Whoever wins loses. The phage need the bacteria to grow in, the bacteria need the phage to transmit DNA into that organism for them to change rapidly enough so they can survive in this environment. So, just to show you, you have to understand this a little bit. So we have gram-positive and gram-negative organisms. The bacteria on Earth can generally be separated into these two groups. There are exceptions, but these two groups, gram-positive and gram-negative, and that's based on a staining procedure. The gram-positive organisms have a lot of pressure inside of them. They have anywhere between 15 to 25 atmospheres of pressure, about 300 PSIs. So the, the cell wall to maintain that pressure has to be quite thick. So they have a very thick peptidoglycan to maintain that pressure, and they have an inner membrane that is, that is coated by this, this peptidoglycan. The gram-negatives on the other side, they have about two to three atmospheres of pressure, not much, so they need a very thin peptidoglycan to resist this type of pressure. The, difference we, the main difference between a gram-negative cell wall is that it's more complex. The gram-negative has an outer membrane, the gram-positive doesn't, 
and it has an inner membrane or plasma membrane. So you have two membranes sandwiched between a, a peptidoglycan, a thin peptidoglycan. So how do where are enzymes, where are these phage enzymes produced? So this is, again, a gram-positive organism. Here's the cell wall. Here's the membrane. You get a bacteriophage. They come in. They interact with specific uh, ligands on the surface of the, of the cell. They have specific receptors in their tails. Once that occurs, they inject their DNA into the cell. Once the DNA gets into the cell, it produces the new virus particles. And once those virus particles are assembled, they have a problem. They have to get out of this organism. And they solve the problem by producing a lysin, and that lysin goes through a hole in the membrane that's produced by a phage-encoded holin. And once that enzyme hits the cell wall, it cleaves the bonds in the wall. And since I told you the pressure is great inside the gram-positive organism, forces the membrane to externalize, explode, killing the organism. This cycle is phage therapy. We're not talking about phage therapy. We're talking about lysin therapy. So what we've done is we recombinantly produce all our enzymes, in E. coli mostly, and we, we take that purified enzyme and add it externally to a gram-positive organism, it does precisely what it did from the inside. It drills a hole in the wall, the membrane pressure pushes the membrane out, ex organism explodes, killing, uh, killing it instantly. A extremely efficient system, evolved over a billion years. If it doesn't work, the phage is gone. The phage will get trapped inside the organism and that phage, that genetic phage is gone until the system is, is, is adjusted so that phage can actually uh, kill the organism and release its phage. So this is just uh, some electron micrographs. This is Bacillus anthracis, a uh, normal organism here. And within a, a minute or two, you can see the membrane externalizing where the enzymes have, have drilled a hole in, in those locations in the cell wall. And you can see afterwards, the cytoplasm it has been ejected, and this one is not ejected yet, but you can see the collapse of the cell wall. And it's basically like taking a water balloon, punching a hole in that water balloon, the, 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 the balloon collapses, this is basically the cell wall, and the, the, the cytoplasm it has been ejected. So it's simple matter, drilling a hole in the bacterial cell wall. So now I'll show you uh, a real-time video of this actually occurring. So again, if a lot of pressure inside this organism, when I start the video, it'll take about 20 seconds. Um, they'll all disappear. But we'll follow this guy because you'll see it early on, you'll see the membrane externalizing, and then the, the whole thing collapses. Also, what we're looking at is phase contrast microscopy. So phase contrast microscopy is you're looking at the cytoplasm. You really can't see the cell wall. You'll see if you look carefully, you see a little bit of debris, but what you're looking at is the cytoplasm. So once that cytoplasm ejects, the, bu the bug will disappear because you can't see it anymore. So here we go, we'll start the video. Now watch this guy here. Membrane externalizes, it's gone. So follow any organism, keep your eye on it, and it'll just disappear and fall apart. That's, that's the way this works. The more enzyme you add, the faster it goes. The phage have figured this out. It has to work for the phage, otherwise the phage are gone. So this is, we're just taking advantage of what nature has developed very efficiently over a billion years. So what do these enzymes look like? So they, they basically have a catalytic domain at one end and a binding domain at the other end. And they're anyway between 25 and 40 kD in size, a fairly normal size uh, molecule with a, a linker, that flexible link that, that binds the, the, uh, the two domains. 
the catalytic domain will cleave one of the major, four major bonds in the peptidoglycan. So it will either cleave one of these, these bonds in the peptidoglycan. The binding domain at the other end binds at high affinity to a cell wall su substrate, usually a carbohydrate in the cell wall. So what's happening is the enzyme hits the cell wall, this binding domain finds its substrate in the wall at high affinity, and then it positions the catalytic domain to cleave the bond that it needs to cleave. So this is a positioning uh, uh, domain in the, in the cell, and this varies from, from phage to phage. So it's finding a specific domain, it gets into the cell wall, kills the organism. So Gram-negative enzymes are a little bit different. They don't have this binding domain, they don't have this linker, but what they do have is a, cat, a charge region at, at one end, or it can have it at both ends, or, or at this end, or not at this end. But basically, there's a charge region and a catalytic domain, and this catalytic domain is mostly lysozyme. But it's a, a, usually a lysozyme with a charge region, and we'll talk about that at, towards the end, why this is so different. Because it has this outer membrane, and it has to solve this problem of, of cleaving the outer membrane. So over the 20 years, we've now developed and uh, license against all the gram positives and some of the gram negatives. We've actually covered all the escape pathogens that I, I mentioned earlier. And we've now used them in a number of animal models to show that they can work actually in any application that you use an antibiotic, you can actually use a lysin. Initially, when we started doing this, we thought we could only use it topically, uh, we make contact with the organism. But you'll see, I'll show you examples in all of the ones in blue, I'll show you uh, uh, examples of how we can use these enzymes uh, wherever you can use an, an, uh, an antibiotic, antibiotic, you can use a, a, a lysin. You can use it topically, you can use it intrathecally, uh, you can use it intravenously. So the various ways you can use these enzymes. So that you're not really limited to their, to their uh, use. So just to show the first model, this is a MRSA bacteremia model where bacteremia is an infection of the blood. So we take mice, we give them MRSA intraperineally. Uh, those organisms will rapidly move throughout the body. Uh, within three hours, if you check the organs of these animals, they're all highly infected. We then add this enzyme. This is a, a staphylococcal-specific enzyme. We deliver it intraperineally. Uh, a, a single mil, a milligram in a single dose, and that's it. That's all you need to do. And as you can see, the animals that just received the uh, a buffer control, they died within a, a day. Whereas 90, in this experiment, 90% of the animals survived the, the treatment. So basically what we're doing is these animals are highly infected with organisms. If we, we're not sterilizing the animal with this single dose. What we're doing is taking 10 to the eighth organisms or whatever the number of organisms in the body and dropping it by two to three logs. That's sufficient for the, the animal's immune system to cover the rest of the organism. And that's what we're doing, and I'll talk to you a little bit about the, on a clinical trial. The clinical trial is against this same, same infection, it's bacteremia, uh, MRSA bacteremia. We give a single dose intravenously to the patients that are infected, and it drops the bacterial load in the, in the blood, a couple of logs, and then the host's immune system, and antibiotic, because they're getting the dose of the antibiotic as well as the, the lysin. Uh, they wouldn't allow us to use the lysine alone, it's just too new. So they were getting standard of care plus the drug. So, and, and you can see it's, dose, it's a dose to, uh, response, so you can see this is the same experiment, and as we increase the dose, this is starting with a very low dose, and as you increase the dose, you get more and more survival. So the more enzyme you add, the more organisms you're going to kill, it's, it's, it's very obvious it, it'll work better.
this is another, I think, very good use for these enzymes and was one of the indications in the, in the clinical trial, and that's endocarditis. So endocarditis is an infection of the heart valve. It's a very serious infection. Uh, if, if, if people have defects, defects in, the heart, in the heart valve, the organisms tend to gravitate to those defects and they latch on to the, to, the, to the heart valve. They form a biofilm on the valve, very difficult to treat. People with endocarditis have to be treated intravenously for weeks to, in order to remove that biofilm on the, on the valve. So in this model, what we do is we run, a, in these rats, we run a catheter down the, the jugular vein of the rat into the heart and damage the heart. This is two days before the, we give them the bacteria. And this experiment, we're giving a penicillin-resistant pneumococci. So we then give them the pneumococci, they, they identify the, the damage in the heart valve, and they will vegetate on that valve. So then we treat them with these uh, staph, um, sorry, pneumococcal-specific enzyme. We give them a single dose, an ebolus, and then a continuous infusion, five milligrams per kilogram per hour for six hours. So in the control animals that just received buffer, if we look in the blood, they have very high counts in the blood, about 10 to the 5th, 10 to the 6th bacteria. And we, in these control animals, we take the, the, the uh, sacrifice the animal, take the valves, grind them up and count the organisms, and you can see that the counts went up on the, on the valve. So these animals are very infected with the, uh, with the pneumococci. But the single, the, the treatment that we gave them in the blood, you can see that it drops basically down to zero. And the animals that uh, were infected on the heart valve, it drops within hours. You wouldn't see this effect in, in, in any uh, uh, human uh, given antibiotic. An antibiotic would take, would take weeks and weeks and weeks for this to go uh, to zero. And uh, within a week, these animals, many of the animals were down to sterile valves. You found no organisms on the valves. So the, the license will destroy the biofilm and then kill the organisms in that biofilm. Because if you think about it, what happens is the, the organisms are part of the biofilm. The, the biofilm is, a, is a, a bacteria, DNA, carbohydrate in a matrix. And what the enzyme is doing is exploding the organisms that are part of that matrix. So if you look at it in an electron microscope or even a light microscopy, you can see the, the biofilm slowly dissolves down to the base. You're just destroying it from the top. It's like shooting holes in these bricks, and the whole thing will just collapse down. So that's basically what's happening. When you're giving antibiotic, the antibiotic kills the organism, but it doesn't destroy it. So you're just sitting there. So the matrix is still there. So it's difficult to get more antibiotic into, the, into that matrix. So this is another, uh, another um, uh, very good use is uh, uh, group B strep infection. A group B strep, 25% of females are, are vaginally colonized with group B strep. And not a problem unless you're delivering a, a newborn. If you're delivering a newborn, 40% will, could get neonatal meningitis, which is devastating for those, for those uh, newborn uh, babies. Uh, there's no vaccine for G GBS. Uh, so colonized pregnant women are tested as, uh, during their pregnancy. If they're positive, then IV penicillin is given two hours prior to delivery. That's the routine that's given right now. So if you have an emergency a delivery, no time. And so those people have a problem. So you have to sort of plan ahead if, you have a, if you're colonized with GBS. So we developed a, a, a vaginal model of, of uh, GBS infections. We take the mice. We give them 10 to the 6th uh, organisms vaginally. 
wait four days and see if they have now caused a, uh, a colonization in the, in the vagina. We swab them at that four-day uh, period to make sure the organisms are there. And then we treat them with uh, 50 micrograms or buffer uh, of lysine. And then two and four hours later, we swab to make sure that or we didn't get rid of the organism. So these are the buffer control animals, no, no change of 10th of the fifth organisms in, in, the, uh, in the vagina of these animals. We tested two different lysins. This is a, uh, a whole enzyme, and this is a one that we, we developed uh, uh, about a year later. And this one is a little bit better. It, it, it gets a better kill. It's about almost a five log kill. Uh, so I think we can, one can use this type of application to treat a, a previously identified female that has, that has GBS just before delivery. You can deliver the lysine intravaginally. You can also treat the child uh, in the nose because that's where these organisms get in. You can treat them with lysine in the nose, remove the colonization of these organisms or treat them throughout their bodies um, to, to reduce the, the bacterial load. So it's, it's one way that can be used very safely to, uh, to treat uh, this type of disease or prevent the disease. And this is another, uh, a, a, one of my pet projects, only because I think it's very important, and that's wound infections. And these are uh, surgical wound infections in hospitals. So orthopedic uh, wound infections, about 2 million surgeries per year, and it ranges from 0.4% to 1.8% infection rate. This is the hospital special surgery infection rate. It's about 0.4%. They have the, one of the lowest in the city, probably in the country. So if you have to have something done, go to HSS. That's the, probably the best for these types of surgical procedures. If you look at cardiothoracic surgeries, about the same number. Uh, they're a little bit lower, about 20,000 cases, but still a serious problem. If you look at, at memorial song Kettering, these are malignant skeletal tumor surgeries where these people have cancer. Uh, these are very long surgical procedures. They have an infection rate of 18 to 30%. Terrible, terrible because they're, they're, these are immuno, immunocompromised, they, they, they're on drugs, uh, they have cancer that um, are, are difficult to remove. Um, so they came to us to say, you know, how can, we help, how can we help them? So we're working with them to try to develop license against Staph aureus infections to add that to the, to the wound. So I'll show you how that model, the model works. Here's a rat, there's a rat uh, infection model. So we take the rats and we make an incision in their back and the in back of the in, in the muscle. Um, we then add anywhere between tenth of the fourth to tenth of the sep, uh, seventh MRSA in that wound, and then we add a little bit of glass, sterile glass beads. And you need the glass beads because you need some foreign body in that wound. If you don't have the foreign body, I would have to add tenth of the ninth organisms to get an abscess. But if you add tenth of the fourth to tenth of the seventh then the organisms are activated. They form biofilms on that foreign body and they become more virulent. So if you add a little bit of glass beads or a titanium implant, that's the foreign body that they're gonna latch onto. So we then, after adding the organisms, we, about 10 or 15 minutes later, we add the lysine, we shut up, we close the wounds with staples and we wait a period of time and then we look to see if we were able to um, uh, prevent the infection. So this is what we call a high-dose, low-dose experiment where we try to simulate real-world wound contamination. How, much, how many organisms can actually get into a wound in a, in a surgical theater? Probably less than tenth of the fourth, but that's the lowest we could go in our experiment. So at, at, at time zero, 
We surgically open the animals. We give them either 10 to the 7th as a high dose to see what's the max we can, we can control, and 10 to the 4th as the lowest. And we give them this MRSA strain called W24, uh, w, uh, MW2. We also, 10 minutes later, uh, we treat the wounds with uh, some lysin, 10 milligrams per mil, or buffer as a control, and then we close them with surgical staples. We wait five days, we euthanize the animals, open their wounds, count the organisms that are still present in those wounds. So here is the 10th of the seventh dose. This is what the wounds look like. They don't heal properly. Uh, they, uh, they're just really pussy. They have a lot of organisms in them, whereas a licensed treater would almost healed within the, within the five-day period. And you can see here the, the organisms that we can uh, identify from these um, this wound is about 10th of the seventh, 10th of the eighth. Or, or, or greater, so there are lots of organisms in these wounds, whereas the ones that were treated with lysin, most of these animals were below detectable limit. The only three in this whole experiment that were positive were these three animals here with very low counts. If we give them 10 to the fourth, that's about the dose or less that, that you would expect to, to, to get in, in a hospital environment. All those animals were down to zero. We couldn't see any. And, and you can see the controls are all over the place because you're adding such, so few organisms. So out of the 22 animals in this experiment, 19 were zero CFUs. So it worked quite well. So lysin would be a more effective irrigant than saline during surgery. So before they close up that individual with, with staples, throw some lysin in there, shut them up, and then, uh, and then follow them. So as... as, as um, um, Jane mentioned earlier that we had a successful phase two in, in January. Contrafact reported a successful phase two with 116 patients, Staphoria bacteremia, including endocarditis, uh, and using one of our enzymes that they licensed, and they, they call it Exevacase. Uh, they just received about two months ago uh, a, a permission from FDA to begin phase three uh, to treat about 350 patients. At that point, they'll be able to sell, start selling product. That'll take about two years or so before they get through that. So it is the first alternative to antibiotic to reach this goal. Um, a lot have tried, but they've all failed. Um, we're very lucky to get this far, but I think it's gonna work quite well. There were no, no adverse events. It was almost a, equivalent to the uh, events seen in, with, with the standard of care drug. And those people who were treated with, with lysin left the hospital sooner, twice as soon, than, than those treated with drugs alone. So it was uh, quite a successful uh, phase two. So we'll talk a little bit in the last part uh, about gram-negative enzymes. We'll finish the KEPE. We have enzymes now against uh, strep pneumoniae, bimoniae, pseudomonas, and enterobacter. Uh, we're testing them in, in about three animal models. The one I'll tell you about is, is a lung infection model. But these enzymes are a little bit different than the gram-positive enzymes. Uh, we'll concentrate on the baumannii and the pseudomonas in, in the rest of this talk. So as I mentioned, they don't have a, a binding domain, but they're mostly catalytic domains with a charge region at one end. This charge region resembles by sequence and, and structure uh, antimicrobial peptides, which are short peptides in, in uh, human serum that kill bacteria. And they might have hijacked this, we might have hijacked it, we don't know what came first, but they're very similar to antimicrobial peptides in, in their structure and size. Um, we can use the whole enzyme to kill, and I'll show you examples of that, or we can just take this, 
little piece at the end, this charge region that looks like an antimicrobial peptide, peptide, and it actually works better. So, and I'll show you that as we go on. So, how do these enzymes work naturally? So here's a, a, a phage-infected gram-negative organism. The phage have been produced. The lysin has been produced. Now they have to get out and, and lyse the organism. So now it has, this is a whole enzyme, so it has the N-terminal catalytic domain and this charge domain in red. So as I mentioned earlier, the, the phage have a, a, a gene that produces a hole in it. It's a hole in the membrane because they don't have leader sequences, so they can't get out of the cytoplasm naturally. So the, the holin is produced, that's really the clock for lysis. When that, when that holin gets into the membrane, that's when the lysis occurs, and that's timed at a certain time. If you can have lysis in 20 minutes, that, that lysin gets into the membrane in 20 minutes, and boom, they explode. So the holin is produced, the lysin goes through the hole, it hits the peptidoglycan. Now, as I mentioned, there's a very thin peptidoglycan because there's only two atmospheres of pressure. So it cleaves the bonds in the peptidoglycan, but since the pressure is so low, the outer membrane keeps the bacteria intact. So the phage can't get out. They're still trapped because this outer membrane is keeping them intact. So that's why it, it puts this charge region at the N-terminal part of the molecule, and that disrupts the outer membrane, and that causes them to explode and release the, the phage. So if we go in the other direction, now we're taking the whole enzyme and we're using it as a tool to kill the organism. So it works in reverse. The, the charge region now disrupts the outer membrane. Once it gets to the peptidoglycan, the catalytic domain will cleave the peptidoglycan. And that charge region, since there's no hole in here now, because we're killing an organism that is not infected with phage, that charge region will disrupt the membrane. It'll disrupt this membrane. and once it hits the inner membrane, it kills the organism. And if you look at this electron micrograph of acinetobacter, this is 15 seconds after treatment. All you see are basically cell debris. These guys are just ready to go, but they're, they're, they're going to be destroyed. Everything is destroyed with, when you're using the whole enzyme. If you use the peptide, though, this is just that end of the molecule that, that only disrupts the membrane. So here we're adding the, the peptide from the outside. It disrupts the outer membrane as it's designed to do. It can't cleave the, the peptidoglycan because it doesn't have a catalytic domain, but it's small enough to go through the peptidoglycan, hits the inner membrane, and depressurizes the organism, killing it. So as you can see here, this is two hours after treatment. You can see the bugs are intact. If you compare it to this one, they're destroyed completely because everything is cut here. But if you look at the peptide, alone, you can see the bacteria are intact. You can see still some cytoplasm. The, the, the denser uh, staining it means there's more cytoplasm there, but most of them are pretty empty, and they've released most of the cytoplasmic contents. So all you have to do is just punch a little hole. They depressurize. They're, they're dead. So I'll show you a video. This is brand new. You're the first audience I've shown this to. <laughs> we, we actually did this. We don't have an ends, uh, a video against Graham a negative license, and we did this uh, uh, about a week ago. So what we did is we have a slide, and this slide is like a sandwich of two slides, and it has a, 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 a well at either end. And we added the, the bacteria to this well, and it sort of goes by capillary action into this, this uh, uh, space between the two slides. And then we added the, the lysin to the same well, and then we put our microscope right there, and watched the enzyme as it's diffusing into the bacteria and what happens. 
So what you'll see is the bacteria, when I turn the video on, you'll see, and these bacteria uh, have type 4 pili. So what they'll, they'll do, these are appendages on the ends of the bacteria. They'll, they'll just jiggle. They, they just use that for, for twitching motility. But when they get killed, they stop moving. Um, and you'll see some will still be full, and you'll see they'll be uh, still bright. But others will actually not disappear, but they'll, they'll just turn dark. Uh, and you can see here, there's one that just we caught by electron microscopy of the cytoplasm coming out. So we'll start the video. It's, this is about two, it's, take about a minute or so. So the brightness is the cytoplasm. So if you concentrate on any organism, it'll go dark as soon as it, it dies and its cytoplasm has been ejected. It'll just stop and it'll die. It takes a little bit because we're watching, and as the enzyme is diffusing in, it's starting to come and contacting them. But if you follow an organ, this whole thing will stop within a, a 30 seconds or so from now. But if you follow any organism, it'll usually go dark and stop. It'll, it's, it gets faster towards the end because more enzyme is coming into the field. And some will still stay a little bright because they haven't injected all their cytoplasm, but they'll, they're dead. They'll start to die. It's gonna, and now it's going to start to go pretty quickly. They'll start to disappear. But you can see they've, they've stopped, and they're, most of them are dark. They have a little bit of cytoplasm left, but there's, that's going pretty quickly now. There's a lot more enzyme diffusing in. And that's not, not real time. Real time is about a minute and a half, so this is about double speed. Otherwise, it would take a little bit longer, but... That's, so that's basically it. We've now, you're the first to see this actually happening. There's very little, <laughs> thank you. There, there's nothing online anywhere. No one's ever done this before. So it, it's pretty cool. And no one's really seen this twitching motility for acetobacter. So it's, this is also pretty rare. So we're, we might put this together in a, in a publication at some point. So this is the, basically the last data slide. So this is the um, uh, using Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which is another major uh, gram-negative organism that causes lung infections. Um, in this model, we took mice, we gave them Pseudomonas nasally, uh, 50 microliters, about 10 to the eighth organism. You give it to them nasally, they inhale the organism, aspirate it into their lungs, and then they get an infection. They'll have a lung infection. And then we treat them with lysin. Uh, this is a, uh, a Pseudomonas lysin, the whole lysin. Uh, three hours and six hours after they, they get infected with 90 micrograms of, of material. So you can see here the animals that were gotten just buffer, they died within a couple of days. The animals that were just treated in the nose with lysin, most of those animals died. We only got 20%, but that's because we just delivered it to the nose and they couldn't aspirate enough enzyme into the lungs to protect them. But if we run a catheter into the lung, and delivered the lysin directly to the lung, uh, we could get almost 70% of those animals surviving this ex experiment. So I think we can, we're, we're doing this, we're continuing doing this, so we're, we should be able to improve this uh, significantly. It's very difficult. And we're working with larger animals, uh, trying to find the, the, the difference between this, this, the uh, esophagus and the, the lung is very difficult, uh, but, and sometimes you miss. But I think that's why we, they were at 70%. If we get 100% getting the catheter 
actually into the lung, we'll get, we'll get better results. But it's pretty good considering. Uh, we think we're gonna, we can use this for uh, cystic fibrosis patients where they're colonized with Staph aureus as well as Pseudomonas. That's a major, major problem. Uh, we may be able to deliver either by an aerosol, which can be done, uh, or de direct delivery of the lysate into the lungs to try to reduce the, and control these organisms and also to treat them in the nose. These organisms come from the nose. They're carried in the nose, they're inhaled into the lung, and that's when they get infected. So if we can use lysine in the nose of these individuals, decolonize their lungs, they may be able to go longer without any uh, infection. So in conclusion, um, gram-positive lysins are a new agent to control gram-positive disease bacteria. They're effective against antibiotic-resistant organisms. We can kill any organism um, that it, uh, we can uh, deliver the enzyme to, whether they're resistant or not. They work synergistically with antibiotics. I didn't show you that data, but we find that if we add antibiotic plus lysin, and even antibiotic at a lysin at sublethal doses, these are sublytic doses, what happens is that the antibiotic cuts a few bonds in the cell, the lysin cuts a few bonds in the cell wall, allowing the antibiotic to get in more efficiently, and now you, get an, you have an, an, uh, an organism that's resistant, and you can make them sensitive again because you now cleave the couple of bonds in the wall, allowing the antibiotic to get in more efficiently. And that's, we have a lot of published data on that as well. Um, are, are, uh, they're difficult to become resistant against. We have not seen resistance. We've been working on this for about 20 years, and no one's ever worked, uh, found resistant to these organisms. They would have to remodel their cell wall in order for them to become resistant. They really have to change their, their cell wall structure, and that's going to take hundreds of years, I think, for them to really become resistant to the in the situation that we're on right now with normal antibiotics. Um, antibodies don't neutralize their, their activity. That's one of the first things we worried about when we deliver or de develop these. These are proteins, and when you inject proteins into animals or humans, they make antibodies, and antibodies normally neutralize the effects of enzymes. It doesn't occur in this case. Uh, that would, that's what actually slowed Contrafect down a year because the FDA wanted to see whether people were pre-sensitized and would anaphylax once they saw this enzyme because they've seen enzymes before, but that didn't happen. Um, and uh, individual, uh, patients that were treated with lysine did not develop very high titles titers of antibody, and those antibodies they produced didn't, weren't IgEs, so they weren't allergic responses. So it's actually quite safer than we thought it would be. Um, and based on phase one and phase two data, they appear to be quite safe. In the gram-negative enzyme and the peptide, uh, they work best topically, and I, I should mention that these enzymes don't work, the gram-negative enzymes don't work well in serum. Because of that charge region, they stick to, to albumin and other serum proteins, and they get pulled out of solution. So we can mostly, at this point, use them topically, like lung infection and wound infections, but we're now trying to engineer them so they can, we can work with them in, uh, in, in serum. Uh, so we're, they're going to need some engineering uh, in order for us to get them into serum. But there's a lot of good applications uh, in burn, burn infections and lung infections. So these are a number of people that over the years in, in the lab right now and people that have left the lab that I've told you about their work. Uh, we collaborate with a number of people that have unique animal models. We send them some enzyme and they work quite well. Uh, this is Ray and Mike work at Contrafect and uh, support. Uh, I have to get a shout out to DARPA because early on when we started developing license, uh, DARPA gave us two big grants to get to start working on these and they really were instrumental in us really 
getting this te technology out the door. So, uh, thank you very much. That was fascinating talk. Um, I have, uh, just because I'm holding the microphone, I'm going to take the first question. Um, I thought it was so, uh, it's so fascinating that uh, um, you're just taking what nature has already evolved over billions of years and evolved to, uh, to coexist as opposed to, uh, perhaps as opposed to antibiotics because antibiotics are just taken from bacteria to kill it's those things that bacteria, you know, secrete to kill other bacteria. So you don't have that sort of billions of years of necessary coevolution. You just have, you know, and so you can develop resistant to that. But this, it's like there, there isn't. It hasn't evolved to have any resistance. Exactly. Yeah. And so I was wondering, um, is there something that is analogous to um, like fungal infections or or do virus? I have no idea if no. that is it. Uh, fungi don't have um, phage systems, so there's nothing that we can use for fungi to uh, to allow this to, to happen. But that, but, but the, the first part of your question is is interesting because if you have to re remember, most antibiotics come from soil organisms, and they're used by soil organisms to control their environment in the soil. So bacteria have been exposed to antibiotics for billions of years, so they've developed systems to get around it, because otherwise they wouldn't survive. So that's why we have this problem right now. On the phage side, the, the system is designed that nobody wins. The phage yeah. doesn't win and the bacteria don't win. So the resistance is at a different level. It's unlikely that we will see resistance in our lifetime, at least your lifetime, because it's not gonna happen. It's gonna take a very long time for it to happen because the phage have been testing the system yeah. for, for a billion years. It's, it's so not gonna cool. happen easily. So yeah. if we can develop license to work, Effectively, we won't have a resistance problem. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Any questions? Yeah. I was just wondering over the. It all sounds like great right now, but I'm just curious what have been the major challenges in taking you know what existed in nature and turning it into this technology over the last two decades? Like, what were the what were the big challenges that you and your colleagues ran into? That the, uh, that the pharmaceutical companies didn't believe in this. Uh, they always threw up um, roadblocks. Number one, first roadblock at that time, it's changed now, but at that time, oh, this is targeted killing. We're not interested in targeted killing. You have to kill everything. Broad, they need these broad spectrum antibiotics in those days, 20 years ago, because when someone is ill, he goes to the hospital, the, the clinician doesn't know what the infection is, so they have to treat with a broad-spectrum antibody. But now, but now the diagnostics are at a point where within an hour or two, you know what the infection is caused by. So you can give a targeted drug. And they know, we've learned from, from C. diff problems that people are given broad-spectrum antibiotics, destroy their biofilm in their gut, and therefore they have other problems. So targeted, targeted antibiotics are much more acceptable now than they were 20 years ago. That's number one. Number two, it's a protein. You're going to make antibodies to it. It's going to neutralize. Go home. <laughs> so we showed, we published, and we showed that these an an antibodies are, don't, are not neutralizing. That's number two. Um, their proteins are going to be difficult to produce in mass production. We, th th this lysine that went into clinical trials, we make 10 grams per liter of purified 
GMP-produced material. It's plenty of material for treating as many people as you'd like. So all the roadblocks that they threw up at me over the 20 years, I had to publish papers to prove that it can be done. And it's come to a point where they're sort of believing it, but this is the only way to do it. The, 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 the clinical trials will have to prove it. And phase two, uh, we're there. Uh, phage therapy has not gotten there because phage therapy is whole phage. And whole phage has the problem that the system, again, is designed that nobody wins. And you're trying in phage therapy to get the phage to win. But the bacteria have systems to prevent that from happening. So it's never going to happen. It, it, it might work to a subtles. They, they treated, the people got better, the organisms got resistant, they had to develop another a group of phage, they treated again until they, they just finally worked, but it took a long time and millions of dollars per patient. So it's not, it's not going to work that easily. Not to say it's not going to work, it's not going to work that easily until we understand what the systems are that the bacteria have developed to prevent the phage from winning. Nobody wants to win that war. And that's why phage therapy is going to be a problem. Thank you for your stubbornness. <laughs> yeah, I had no choice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for the great talk. Uh, seems like a very exciting technology. Uh, so my question was more regarding um, why the antibodies are not neutralizing the enzymes. Is it because it's fairly small, uh, just 40 kilodalton? No. Or where does that come from? So the, it, we have preliminary data to show that what happens, the way these enzymes are produced, so think about the phage don't want any enzyme to be out there free because any enzyme will kill an adjacent host organism. And the phage wants to, wants to infect that organism. It doesn't want the enzyme to kill it before the phage gets in there. So what they've done is design the enzyme that the, the binding domain in the cytoplasm, the binding domain sits in a groove of the catalytic domain. So it's an inactive enzyme. So it's, it's, it's not working. Once it goes through the holon, the concentration, it, it goes through the hole in the hole and it concentration increases and that causes the, the binding domain to come off of the groove of the catalytic domain and now binds to its substrate in the cell wall and now it's an active enzyme. And, and the reason why it binds at high affinity is because it doesn't want spill. It doesn't want that enzyme, once it's bound to the, to the debris, doesn't want it spilling out again, killing another organism. So it goes through two two uh, ways in which it protects the, the activity of the enzyme. One in the cytoplasm, in case it gets out, and one that it's bound tightly to the cell wall debris. It doesn't want free enzyme out there, because if, if there's one bacteria host and there's, and there's one phage to infect it, then it doesn't want the enzyme to kill it. It wants the phage to get in there and replicate, and now you have 100 phage where one has gone in. So it's, it's, the, it's designed this over a billion years, so, you know. You can't you can't out outwit the, uh, the, the <laughs> you can't outwit nature. I have a question. Well, maybe someone's thinking of one more. But uh, um, how long does it take you to go from a target, like let's say there's a new type of bacteria, to uh, the product, like the protein? So that uh, right now we can do it pretty quickly. In those days, in the early days, we would. Uh, We'd go into the East River or we'd take soil samples. <laughs> I'm serious. Take liters and liters of water and concentrate the phage down to isolate the phage. And then we would take those and then just add them onto organisms that we want to kill. And if you get a plaque, then you pick the plaque. And then it would take us probably six months that we had an enzyme in our hands that we're comfortable with. 
we can do it in about a month now because now we do it all by bioinformatics. We go in, we go in the database, we find uh, lysogens that are carrying the phage. We have an algorithm now that can identify the, the, the best enzyme and we, within a few weeks we could have a good enzyme. We have choices. We have the genes synthesized. We used to clone them in those days. Now we have them all synthesized. I can have 100 genes synthesized in a month or a week, actually, wow. in a week. And so you can test them very quickly. So we can do it much faster now than, than we did in those days. We used to go to the zoo and, and get feces from <laughs> zoo animals. It was crazy, but, but you had to do what you had to do. Would you say that your proximity to a body of water with the characteristics of the yes, East River yes, has helped? Oh, that's great. There's a, there's a video. We can all feel good about the East River now. There's a video out there that got over day. a million and a half hits <laughs> of us throwing a bucket out into the water. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Any uh, last questions? May not be a great question, but um, uh, the phages exist in nature, but the lysine? Lysine. Lysine. Uh, you have to purify that out. So how do you do that? Well, basically, you just get the gene of that for that lysine. So the gene is in the, in the phage genome. Mm -hmm. And you take that gene and you put it into a, a bacteria that will express it, will produce that, that, the product of that gene. So, so it, just it just produces it automatically, just, it's just a system. So as I said, you, we, we produce them in E. coli in an expression system that you can get 10 grams of, of purified material out of a liter, which is not much more than a, a couple of these glasses. Right, right. So it's very efficient. And the expression systems that these companies have are really quite good. So sort of more on the effects side, have you done any work on the possible effects on the microbiome of not really, but you know, I I, I think um, these these enzymes have minimal effects on the microbiome because they're targeted killing. So you're really not going to have a major effect on those organisms. Whereas antibiotics will have a major effect on, on organisms wherever. But but they are targeted killings. You're killing basically staph aureus if you're targeting staph or pneumococcus if you're doing that with very little overlap on other organisms. It's because of that binding domain goes in and, and just targets that, that substrate, and it's quite specific, yeah. You can find enzymes that are a little bit broader. It depends on where they're binding, and those could be more broad, broader structures, but in general, you can find them uh, ones that are fairly narrow. Maybe you would want to target something specific in the uh, microbiome, yeah. right? If, yeah. if you knew one was really a problem, you could get uh, just that one. Yes, you can do that. It, it, it can be done. Again, with 10 to the 31 phage out there, if you look hard enough, you'll find the enzyme you're looking for. Are there any articles on this for the layperson? Because it's so fascinating, and I have some yeah. people I want to share it with. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're, they're actually not lay, but it's more the, the review article, the review articles that I've written, and there are a couple of review articles on phage license that you'll find. And it lays it out pretty, pretty generally. Yeah. You just like we, Fischetti, can post, yeah. we can uh, post. We can post. VA, and those are all our publications. If you put the VA in there, it, it, it's not it's not contaminated with other fichetis. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, Vince is going to hang out for a beer sure. after, yeah. so we yeah, we can have a too. few more questions in person. But I just I really want to thank you. That was I feel like. Uh, um, especially if you're a scientist, you, you see a lot of scientific talks, but a, a lot of times it's, you know, you're excited about them because they're these like incremental things that are relevant just to the thing you're interested in studying. But I, I, I feel as if what I saw tonight is, is uh, 
it's like we, we all got to see the future of, you know, because this is such a problem worldwide and, and this is such a novel approach that has been uh, sort of under our noses for, I guess we haven't been here for a billion years, but it's existed for a billion years. But um, I just think uh, we're so lucky that you uh, came down and shared this with all of us and we're grateful for all the work you're doing and like very excited for the future of your work, your studies. So thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have this talk posted. Um, it'll be on um, our website, bureauwithascientist.com. And then um, we also uh, post all the talks as a podcast. So it'll be on iTunes or Google or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Bureau of the Scientists. And th they're all there. Uh, and then this will be the most recent one. And uh, we'll, po we'll send a link to, s maybe, we'll, maybe I can find a publicly available review. Um, and then I can send it out to the, to the group. I'll just send it out to uh, the meetups and then and then maybe you could think about writing a book in your uh, <laughs> spare time. I mean, just spare time. Okay, so uh, thanks again, everyone. Thanks, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay.